It's good to see you all. We are continuing our, our study of teaching the five-part series of salvation. Um, and this is, a, this is a study that's been very successful for over the years in bringing many people to Christ. You know, every day, every day, people are going to hell. People you know. And so we ought to want to learn how to teach something like this. We ought to learn how to, how to teach people what God wants them to do. Maybe, maybe save a soul. As it's been mentioned, the, this series goes through an overview of the Bible, starting with the age of the fathers and the age of Moses, where God teaches people his will and what he wants them to do, what he wants them to know about him, through to the age of Christ, where after, after the prophets said the, the Savior was coming, the Savior finally came. And then through the end of the time where he's coming back. And today we'll finish the age of Moses and that, that Matt started last week. And this covers 1,500 years from the book of Exodus all the way to the end of the, New, the Old Testament. And last week, Brother Matt read Romans 11.22, which says, Therefore consider the goodness and severity of God on those who fail severity, but toward you goodness if you continue in his goodness. Otherwise you also will be cut off. And we're going to continue this theme this morning because at the end of this study, the person you're studying with is going to have to make a choice. And you need to make sure that choice is as clear to them as possible. And the consequences of that choice needs to be clear as well. Now, when Michael McCorkle uses this uh, study, he, he turns, he hands out an outline of the study and like the outline that you all received at the beginning. And he has them turn this outline over and on the back write a cross. And on that, on the upper left-hand side, he has them write down goodness and blessing. And on, on the right side, he, they write, he has them write severity and a curse. The two choices from Romans 11.22. And throughout this study, as, as you talk about each of these people, you have them write down on that paper which side this person fell based on the choices they made, you see. Now, this morning we're going to pick up where Matt left off in the book of Samuel. And uh, after, 
Israel enters Canaan, the promised land. Uh, God put judges over them to rule over the people. And these judges, sometimes they were good, and sometimes they were not so good. And Samuel was a good judge. But it says in 1 Samuel 8 and verse 1, Now it came to pass when Samuel was old that he made his sons judges over Israel. The name of his firstborn was Joel, and the name of his second, Abijah. And they were judges in Bathsheba. But his sons did not walk in his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain, took bribe, and perverted justice. Samuel wanted his sons to continue like he did and judge Israel, but they were corrupt and they took bribes. So in verse 4 it says, Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Look, you are old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now make us a king to judge us like all the nations. Israel looked around and they saw that all the other nations didn't have judges ruling over them. They had kings. And they thought, you know, that's got to be better than what we have. So they wanted a king instead. Be careful of looking at other people and desiring what they have because you don't know all the problems that other people have. Samuel warned them that if they had a king, that king's going to, it's not going to turn out well for them. Their king will take their sons and their daughters and they will work for the king and they'll die for the king. And he'll take your lands and your property. He'll, 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 he'll make heavy taxes over you. In 1 Samuel 8 and verse 19, they said, Nevertheless, the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel. And they said, No, but we will have a king over us, that we also may be like all the nations. You ever wanted something and you knew that it's not going to turn out well if you got it? You want this, you want to do this, and you know it's going to turn out bad, but you do it anyway. Well, that's the choice that Israel made. And so God gave them the king they wanted. And Samuel... Samuel was feeling like they rejected him, like they rejected him as their leader. But God told Samuel that they haven't rejected you. They rejected me. Well, God had told Israel when they entered Canaan to utterly and completely destroy everything, destroy the people and everything they had. And they started to do that with Jericho, as Matt talked about. He said, don't take anything from them. Completely destroy all the people, the animals, everything. And so the king, the first king was named Saul, and Saul started to do that. And he went and he drove out the Philistines. He gathered an army and they did that. 
And God had warned the people, if, if you don't utterly destroy them all, then they'll turn your hearts away from your God. And so they was doing that successfully, and then God told them to, to wipe out Amalek. And God was sending an angel before them, he said, to do this, so it wasn't hard. And so they, they came to Amalek, and he said in, in 1 Samuel 15 and 3, Now go and attack Amalek, and utterly destroy all that they have. And do not spare them, but kill both man and woman, infant and earthen child, ox and sheep and camel and donkey. And so Saul gathered an army and went and killed all the Amalekites, but he spared their king. And they also took the treasure, and they took the best of the animals that they had as loot from the war. So God sent Samuel to confront, to confront Saul about this. And so he goes and he approaches Saul, and Saul comes out all happy. He says in 1 Samuel 15 and 3, he says, now, he says, and Saul said to him, Blessed are you of the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. Saul takes credit for winning the war. But behind him, there are all these animals, sheep and ox and goats. And they're making this loud noise. And so, so Samuel says, what is this bleeding of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? Well, Saul knows what God told him. He says, he replies, they have brought them from the Amalekites. For the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God. And the rest we have utterly destroyed. So Saul knew he was wrong. So he starts to distance himself from this. It was the people that did this. But Samuel wasn't having it. Samuel says, when you were little in your own eyes, were you not head of the tribes of Israel? And did not the Lord anoint you king over Israel? Now the Lord said to, sent you on a mission, and he said, go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you swoop down on the spoil and do evil in the sight of the Lord? Samuel reminded Saul that it was his responsibility to do what God said to do. This is on you. It's your responsibility. When 1 Samuel 15 and verse 20, Saul keeps arguing. He says, and Saul said to Samuel, but I have obeyed the voice of the Lord and gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me. And I brought back Agag as king 
of Amalek, but I have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. You spared the king, Saul? You spared the king. But the people took the plunder, the sheep and the oxen, the best of the things which should have been destroyed. Yes, he admits they should have been destroyed. But they did it to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. That's why they did it. It's like, it's like a child that is getting a cookie out of the cookie jar, right? After their parent says, don't get the cookie, don't, don't take it. And they're getting the cookie and they get it out and they get it and they're leaving and they see the parent there watching them. And they look at the cookie and they look at the parent and they hold it out. I got this for you. I got it for you. Would you believe that? Saul says, yes, we took the stuff we weren't supposed to, but we did it for God. We did it for God. Even if that were true. Samuel said, has the Lord as great a delight in birth offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, to heed than the fat of rams. To obey is better than sacrifice. So in the next verse, he says, For rebellion is the sin of witchcraft. And stubbornness is the iniquity of idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, <clears throat> he also has rejected you from being king. And the kingdom would be taken away from Saul. And so now you have them turn over the page, the outline where they drew. And you ask them, which side did Saul fall? Where does he go? And they have to write him here. Severity and the curse. Well, after this, God found another king to lead Israel. He found a young man living in Bethlehem. His name was David. First Samuel 16 and verse 1, Now the Lord said to Samuel, I am sending you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite, for I have provided myself a king among his sons. Now, when Samuel got there, he assumed <clears throat> that God would choose the biggest and strongest man that, there was, that he had. And he had seven sons. 1 Samuel 16 and 7, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. For a man looks at the outward appearance, 
the Lord looks at the heart. So Jesse presents his seven sons to Samuel one by one. God rejects every one of them. And so Samuel asks him, is this all you have? He says, well, I have one son. He's the young one. David, he's out in the field taking care of the sheep. Samuel says, bring him here. And so he did, and God said, this is the one. He's going to be the king. And so he anoints him. God said that David was a man after his own heart. And David showed how great his faith in God was at a very young age, before he even became king. See, the Philistines didn't stay gone. They returned. And they were once again harassing Israel. And they had this champion who was a giant of a man named Goliath. And every day Goliath would come to the Israelite camp and he would mock them. And he would mock God. And he, would, he was making fun of them. And it was so huge, everyone was afraid of him. And no one would go out and fight this man. Well, Jesse sent young David to the camp where his brothers were with food to, for them to eat. And as he, as he arrived there in the camp with his food, he sees this giant Goliath out there mocking the army and no one doing anything. And he says to his brothers, who is this Philistine who defies the army of the living God? Well, his brothers rebuked him for that. And so David, David just went and found King Saul. In 1 Samuel 17 and 10, um, this Philistine Goliath is saying, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistines, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. So David went and found Saul, and he says to him, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. David said, I'll go fight him. He's defying the army of the living God. And so, David approaches the giant, and he chooses for himself five smooth stones from the brook. And he put them in the shepherd's bag and a pouch which he had, and his sling was in his hand. And he drew near the Philistine. And then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword, with a spear, and with a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled. And then David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone, and he slung it, and it struck the Philistine in his forehead, so that the stone sank into his forehead, and he fell on his face to the earth. David totally trusted God, completely. 
There is no reason why he should have been able to defeat this giant. But he trusted God. It may not always make sense to do what God tells us to do. But we have to trust God. We have to trust him. So now you have them turn over the notes and write down where on this chart do we put David? We put him over there, don't we? Under the goodness and the blessings. Because God made him king. Now, now the Bible goes on to talk about the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant was a very holy thing to Israel. It was considered God's presence among the people. It was considered to be where his throne was among the people. It was a very holy thing. But the Ark of the Covenant was stolen by the Philistines, and they carried it away. And later it was... It was passed around from person to person. And finally, it ended up being stored in some guy's barn. And when David became king, he wanted to go and, and bring it back and put it in Jerusalem. And so he went with a bunch of people to go and retrieve the Ark of the Covenant and bring it back. In First Chronicles 13 and 7, it says, so they carried the ark of, the, of God on a new cart from the house of Ab Ab Abinadab. And Uzzah and Ohio drove the cart. This looks very different than this. Because it is. And the next verse it says, and when they came to Chidon's threshing floor, Uzzah put out his hand to hold the ark, for the oxen stumbled. Then the anger of the Lord was aroused against Uzzah, and he struck them because he put his hand on the ark, and he died there before God. Now everyone in Israel had the same question. Why? Why did God kill Uzzah? He was just trying to stop it from falling. Why did he die? Well, David knew why. After reading the scriptures, he knew why. And sadly, he told the people, the Lord our God broke out against us because we did not consult him about the proper order. Was their motive good? Yes, their motive was good. Were they seeking God? They were seeking God. Everyone agreed that this was a righteous thing to do. But they didn't know what God wanted them to do because they didn't read the scriptures. They didn't read the law. 
And so they didn't know what God required. And there were specific commands there in the law about how to transport this, what God wanted. You know, people think as long as they're doing something for God, he's pleased with that. Just because I'm doing this for God, he's happy. But they disobeyed a direct command of God and Uzzah died. We must consider both. Both the goodness and the severity of God. And so you have them turn over the outline. And on the back, where do we have to put Uzzah? We have to put him here, don't we? Well, after David died, his son, Solomon, became king. The Bible says that Solomon was the wisest man that ever lived. That he was the richest person in his day. Probably the most powerful person in his day. And without great wealth and power, Solomon tried everything there was to do under the sun. Whatever entered in his heart to do, he did it. He tried it all. And at the end of his life, in Ecclesiastes, he said, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is man's all. For God will bring every work into judgment including every secret thing, whether good or evil. And after Solomon died, his son Rehoboam became king. And Rehoboam's works were not good. They were evil. And because he was such a horrible king, the kingdom of Israel was divided into two kingdoms. And we have, it was divided into the kingdom of Israel from in the north around Samaria and the kingdom of Judah in the south around Jerusalem. And Israel never did completely drive out all of the Canaanites like God told them to do. And because of this, they turned their heart away from God. Just like he said, their desire to be like other nations made them worship those nations' idols and false gods. And they turned away from God over and over and over again. But God sent them prophets to warn them, to turn them back. Prophets like Elijah. Elijah the prophet did all kinds of miracles. God showed these huge, amazing signs through him to try and convince the people to repent, to come back. 
And Elijah preached repentance. Come back. When Elijah knew his time was about over, he, he brought in Elisha, the prophet. And he prepared Elisha to take over after him. And the Bible says in 2 Kings 2 and verse 11, that it happened as they continued on and talked, that suddenly a chariot of fire appeared with horses of fire and separated the two of them. And Elisha went up by a whirlwind into heaven. Elijah never died. But Elisha saw him go up into heaven. And Elisha, the Bible said, would performed twice as many miracles as Elijah did. And he's prophesying in 722 B.C., or we'll pick up next. 722 B.C., the Assyrians capture. The Assyrians capture the northern kingdom of Israel. And the Assyrians deport all the people, the people there in the northern kingdom, and carry them away. And that northern kingdom was, that nation of Israel was never a nation again after that. And during these days of Elijah, of Elisha, I always get those two confused. During these days of Elisha, there was the Syrian army was in control of these people of Israel. And the commander of the Syrian army, his name was Naaman. And he became afflicted with this terrible disease called leprosy. And leprosy was horrible. It's a horrible disease. And he had leprosy. And there's a passage in 2 Kings chapter 5. We're going to read that. It says, Now Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Israel, of, of Syria, was a great and honorable man. And he was also a mighty man of valor. But he was a leper. And a young girl from the land of Israel waited on Naaman's wife. And she said to her mistress, If only my master were with the prophet who is in Samaria, for he would heal him of his leprosy. Then Naaman went with his horses and chariot, and he stood at the door of Elijah's house. And Elijah sent a messenger to him, saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored to you, and you shall be clean. But Naaman became furious, and he went away and said, Indeed, I said to myself, He will surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord, his God, and wave his hand over the place and heal the leprosy. Are not the Abana... And, and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned 
and went away in a rage. Then his servant came near and spoke to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do something great, would you not have done it? How much more then when he says to you, wash and be clean? So he went down and dipped seven times in the Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God. And his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child. And he was clean. So we asked the person you're studying with to turn over the notes. And right on the back, where did Naaman fall? Where would you put Naaman? He received goodness and blessing, didn't he? Because of his choice. Well, after turning away from God, the divided kingdom of Israel was conquered many times, over and over by other nations. And those from, those from the northern kingdom were carried away and set all around the earth, and they were called Samaritans. Those from the southern kingdom were taken away scattered, and they were called Jews. And then in 605 BC, the Babylonian Empire conquered the kingdom of Judah and carried them away. And, you know, even during this time, there were faithful people of God, people that served God, people that trusted God, the people that didn't fall away. People like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who were commanded to fall down and worship a foreign god, to worship an idol. And when they refused, they were thrown into a furnace of fire. But they walked in that fire with the Son of God. And he brought them out alive. The Bible says there's, their clothes didn't even smell like smoke. And there were people like Daniel who was told he was forbidden to pray to God. Knowing the consequences, he prayed to God anyway. And so they threw him into a den of lions. But God shut the mouths of the lions. And he walked out alive. In 536 B.C., the Jews were allowed to return to Jerusalem and rebuild it, to rebuild its walls. But the old Jews that did that that were with them were sad because they remembered they remembered what it was like before and it just wasn't the same you see Israel remained in bondage they remained ruled over by other nations 
But the prophets all wrote that the day of salvation was coming. That God was going to send his Messiah and he was going to save his people. And then the prophet Malachi wrote, Malachi wrote that before that day comes, somebody they knew was coming back. Malachi 4 and verse 5, he says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. And then God was silent. The prophecy stopped. And there was silence from God for 400 years. And that's where we will pick up this study next Sunday. We're going to sing an invitation song now. As we do, I want you to think about your life. Think about the decisions, the decisions you've been making. If the Lord were to come today, if today is the last day of the earth, where would you fall? Where would you fall on this chart? If you'd like the prayers of the church, if you'd like, if you have any spiritual needs, please come now and sit on the front pew while we stand and sing.